a really ingenious title, The God of All Comfort, Part 2. So uh, it'll be Part 3 and Part 4 before we're done. And uh, uh, we are rejoicing as believers because God gives us reason to rejoice. And as we looked at this message last week, I didn't get really any further than verse 3 in the introduction of Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked last week at really that word blessed, which has behind it the idea of praising and adoring. So you'll remember, perhaps if you were here last week, we sang a lot and uh, really wanted to be able to express from our hearts our adoration to the God whom we love and serve. And do you love him? Are you encouraged by him? Is he, is he encouraging your heart in the world in which you live? Are you able to find your encouragement in him? Uh, last week, we tried to magnify him here so that our hearts could rejoice over his person and the nature of who he is. And This morning, I'm going to come back at this service, and it's going to seem like I'm tracing over the same territory, except for I'm going to magnify in this passage the descriptions that God gives of himself under four titles. And we're going to walk through these. Now, in verse 2, there's this greeting of grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we recognize uh, the nature of the Godhead, the God the Father and God the Son. And of course, we recognize the Trinity, God the Spirit. And really, I'm not going to just dive so far into the Holy Spirit this morning, <clears throat> but we would recognize um, that even as the theme of comfort in this passage, that the Holy Spirit is, of course, titled as the Comforter. But as you come into verse 3, you have this adoration, this praise, and it starts by this, blessed be, and here are the titles, God, blessed be God, there's the first title, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's his second title, and then thirdly, the Father of mercies, and then at the end of this verse, and the God of all comfort. So blessed be, praised be, adored be this God. So I want to start in this sermon or in this message this morning, the God of all comfort, with an introduction, <clears throat> an introduction of God as he describes himself. I'm going to do it with a question under the first title of God, blessed be God. Do you know the God of the Bible? Do you know him by identification? Do you know who or what you are worshiping? Or do you have, as many I believe in the world would have, a God of your own making? The God of your own making has a different title in the Bible. If you have a God of your own making, that's identified as something else. Do you know what the other word for that is? Say it louder. So do you worship an idol or do you worship the God of the Bible? It's important to know that there are many worshiping today that are worshiping something or someone other than the God of the Bible. So you might reference, and this is just a reference, you don't have to turn there, you can, but it's John chapter 4, it's the Samaritan woman. 
And as Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman in verses 23 and, or 22 and 23 of John 4, he says to her, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, he's not saying that only the Jews are saved. He's saying that the Messiah would come through the line or lineage of the Jewish people. And that's indeed how Christ came, as someone who was born a Jew and through that heritage. He says, salvation is of the Jews, but the hour comes, or cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall wor worship him, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now what I want to tell you this morning is that God is the initiator of a relationship with him, and that should hearken back to our series on having a relationship with God or relationships. He is the one who initiates. He's the one who is seeking you, and he is the one that is magnifying himself in your life today. He's the one that is in the world drawing people to himself that they might know him. So God is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And in truth means that we worship the God of the Bible as he represents himself in the pages of, these book, of this book. Amen? So we don't get to come to God and say, well, he is going to be a God that I will uh, make up myself. There have often been people who have said through history, I, I believe that God is love. Is God love? Well, believe it or not, that message is going to be played out in his introduction today. Um, is God also a God of justice? Does love live apart from justice? So some people would say, well, I don't want to believe in a God that would send people to hell. I can't believe in God, a God who would send people or doom people to an eternal hell. What's the problem with that? Doctrine. Doctrine's the problem with that. God has invited all of the world to be saved. When people die and go to hell, they choose to reject the God of the Bible and the Savior that he's given. And there's all kind of malignity in the heart of man that would accuse God and shake their fist in the face of God and say, I won't believe in a God like that. And, and here's the point. Who gets to be God? Well, the truth is, you choose, but you can choose all you want and you'll never make yourself God. And you'll never usurp the authority and the sovereignty of the God of the Bible. So he is as he declares himself to be. And he says that there is a day of reckoning. And the day of reckoning is that everyone will stand before God at some point. The difference between the saved and the damned, the rescued and the lost, is a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you know him personally as the one who's been given by God the Father to be the Savior of the world. So do you know the God of the Bible? Do you know him personally? So I'll give you um, a little family illustration. So last night, Joseph, I think it was, one of you girls was at the, in the kitchen with me. I don't remember who it was, but 
uh, Joseph, I think it was at the, towards the evening where he had to get his one more snack and one more snack and one more snack. And, and he, he was kind of hovering around daddy at some point saying, how oh, I like to be with daddy. And I realized the reason he liked to be with daddy is because he could be up later. And it wasn't so much about dad. It was about dad was the past, okay? Um, but he's sitting at the table. Now Joseph's four and a half. And he's sitting at the table, and he turns around, he's got his hand on his chair, he's got pretzels and peanut butter, and he's dipping his pretzels in his peanut butter, and he turns around, and he looks up at me, and he says, Daddy, am I going to die? And some of you just went, well, that's what I did. That's what I did. I, my wife and I believe in being honest and appropriate to his question. And I said, well, yes, Joseph, someday you're going to die. Silence. And he says, will we get to eat breakfast before we go? I don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't get it. <laughs> okay. I don't know, Joe. I don't know, man. I'm going to ask you to pray for Joseph. He's not saved. but he's searching. He's coming home with questions that he's getting from the doctrine of truth trackers and the doctrine of Sunday school and doctrine of junior church and comes home with all kinds of questions. And we need to be praying for these young people that they'll know Christ and of course, scriptures say, and that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make thee wise in salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we point him to Jesus, right? We point to Jesus, point to Jesus, point to Jesus. And caution our young people about how they pray in front of Joseph. Lord, help Joseph to get saved. You know, and it's a good prayer. It's right. We want him to know the Lord. But you know, you don't have to be a child to come to Christ. You can come to Christ as an adult. And there are people that are still searching right now. And God is at work in the world around us right now to save souls. And the truth is, he's coming back in an hour which people don't know. And the truth is, you can go to death without any warning whatsoever. So what do we take away from that? You better know the God of the Bible. So the good news is that God has introduced himself to you. And I want to further amplify that introduction just by declaring what we know about him. 
And we're going to be in several books as a way of magnifying who this God is and his characteristics, but one of those books will be 1 John, several passages in there. One is chapter 4 and verse 8, where we read, and I'll let you get there because we're going to be there for a little bit, 1 John chapter 4 and several parts of that. There's a verse in 1 John 4, verse 8, where it says, He that <clears throat> loveth not knoweth not God. And here's what it says is descriptive of God. For God, simply, for God is what? God is love. We're going to read about the nature of God's love as we explore this in just a moment. But I want you to know <clears throat> that it is his characteristic to be a loving God. And he is the initiator of a relationship with him. First John chapter 4 and verse 19, we read this as well. We love him, and if, many of you know it, how does it say it after that? Because, yeah, because he first loved us. You see, we didn't wake up de desiring God and loving God just because we're somehow good people. God is knocking on the door of your, of your heart. He's drawing you to himself. And it's his characteristic, it is his nature to be love. Now, in his introduction of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God that has been described as a God of love, a God who has described himself in this book that has initiated a relationship with us as an opportunity by sending his son, Jesus Christ. So it says, God, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we adore God? Why do we praise God? Because if it wasn't for God, we would not have any hope of salvation. We would not have any hope of rescue. But this God, the Father, sent his son and sent him because he is a God of love and in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, you read a descriptive of how he exhibited his love to us. So would you read verses 9 and 10 out loud with me of 1 John chapter 4? 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10, would you read it out loud with me? In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, what is the propitiation? Propitiation is a very rich doctor word. I'm not going to dive off into a long study of it, but it simply means the satisfactory payment for. The satisfactory payment for. He paid all of our sin debt for us. And as I'm talking to Joseph, I, and this may sound strange to you, but the day before, Joseph is sitting with me and in my office, and I videoed our conversation because I had my phone there, and I thought, well, he won't know it's on, and I'll turn it, and I'll face it. And I, I videoed just our gospel conversation. And this is the day before we will get to eat breakfast, okay? Uh, the day before... We're sitting, and he's just, he's sitting beside me, and, and you know, all kind of little warm fuzzies, you know, it's, I like to be with daddy, and this is like, this isn't bedtime even, this is noon, okay, and like, 
Hey, nice to be with Danny. Okay. We're in, but he starts asking me Bible questions. He starts asking me about relationship, about how to be saved, and, and trying to help him understand. He, I, I got to tell you this too. So, Joseph, are you a sinner? <clears throat> yeah, I'm a sinner. Joseph, who, who's sinners? Who are sinners? Everybody's a sinner. Girls are sinners. They don't, Joseph, okay? Girls are sinners. They don't know it, but they are. <laughs> What's that coming from? I don't know. But we're having these conversations <laughs> about Jesus. And if you want to know the display of God's love, it was manifested in Jesus Christ. The greatest display of love ever given to mankind is the gift of Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it that we adore him because he sent Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ came for a reason. He came to die for your sin and mine. So that we could be declared righteous by the great exchange of Jesus' righteousness for our sin. And he gives himself to be the payment for all of our sin so that you and I could be fit to go to heaven, whereas there is nothing that we could have done to ever make us fit for heaven. So, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in that Jesus Christ is that one that you and I have to come to in faith to be redeemed. It's trying to help my Joseph understand, and he's been asking questions like this for quite a while. What does it mean to trust? We had probably the sweetest spanking we've ever had this last week. I'm not kidding. It was the sweetest. As a dad, I, I look in the history of my kids, and it's like the sweetest spanking I, I've, I've seen. And... Uh, why? Because I haven't always done it right. And the nature of it was Joseph had, had lied. And he had lied to get out of some, being in trouble about something that he was afraid of being in trouble about. And as we talked about it, I said, Joseph, I'm not, I, I would not have spanked you for what you thought you did was wrong. I it was okay, I wasn't going to spank you, but you lied. I said, I have to spank you for lying. And we talked about it, and, and um, before this time of instruction, I'm asking, so why is dad spanking you? And he says, little, little four-year-old looking up for lying. And I said, can I trust you? Do you know why we can trust God? He never lies. And you point to Jesus, you point to Jesus, you point to Jesus. God has not lied. And he has told us there is a way to be saved. I, 
I wonder often over how much I tell you. So I'm in bed the other day and I'm, you know, I just, I, I feel like I'm dying. What do you do? I cry to Jesus. I'm not getting saved all over again, but I'm telling the Lord, I'm trusting you and you alone. All my hopes in you. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you that you promised. For the believer, all of our hope is in Christ, not our worthiness. All of our hope is in the promise of this Jesus who was given as an expression of God's love so that we could be in the family of God. Who is this God? A God of love who sends his son. And then he further describes an expression of Jesus Christ as a gift. I believe in 2 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, and the Father of mercies. You realize that Jesus Christ is an expression of God's mercy. So what is grace? Grace is God, simply explained often. Grace is God giving us what? Well, it's often described doctrinally as grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. His goodness, his kindness, heaven. What is mercy? Mercy is often described simply as God not giving us what we do deserve. I remember, I don't remember which kid it was. I was trying to teach mercy. They had done something wrong and uh, they knew it was spanking worthy. And I came to them and I said, I'm not going to spank you. Why aren't you going to spank me? Because I want to describe to you what mercy is. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Do you deserve a spanking? Yes. And you point to Christ. And you point to Christ. Do we deserve the wrath of God? See, doctrine is some people say, well, no. I don't deserve the wrath of God. I'm not that bad. I mean, I haven't robbed a bank or anything. Well, you may not robbed a bank, but it's the or anything that I wonder about. You sure you haven't done anything deserving of God's wrath? Mercy is expression of God's withholding his wrath from us. Now, why, I want to ask you again, why does God not give us all of his wrath? Why does he not do that? Well, for the believer, it's because Jesus took the wrath. But his mercy is described in this passage you don't need to know the Greek word, but it means to have pity. It means to have compassionate pity towards. It means to look at someone's hurt, look at someone's need, and step in as a sympathetic heart that says they need help. Who needs help here today? All right, I'm talking to you. Who needs help today? 
<laughs> if it wasn't for God's help, would any of us be saved? If it wasn't for God's help, would any of us really know mercy? You see, he is the father of mercies. Now, by the way, doctrinally, you'll find phrases like this throughout the Bible where he describes himself as the father of. Now, what does that mean? It means he is the originator of, the beginning of, he is the source of what that is. And that's what mercy is here. The world would not know mercy if it wasn't for the nature of God. We would not even know what mercy was if it wasn't for God himself. But how merciful is he? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, you know the verse? But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did God wait for you to get cleaned up before he would save you? Did God wait for you to be nice before he would reach out to you? Did God wait for you to get it all right before he reached out to you? No. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were in the midst of our sin, Christ dies for us. Now, what kind of sin? People spat on Jesus. People ripped the beard off of Jesus' face. People beat him with the cat of nine tails. People beat down upon his brow the crown of thorns. People mocked and defamed the God of the ages who put on human flesh, walked before them, and was crucified. He did this for those very people that were doing it. He did it for us. Is anybody here worthy of it? No. What did we have to offer for this great exchange? Nothing. Nothing. And yet God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are in the midst, while we are in the midst of that sin, Jesus dies for us. Are you grateful for that? Don't you wonder that sometimes we don't live as if we're grateful for it? I know that gratitude really changes a lot when we think, what has God done for me? So I'm prone to say this, I'll say it often, where would we be? Where would we be without Jesus? Take your Bible to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We're going to read about this merciful God. We'll be coming back to Romans 5 in just a moment. He's described as the father of mercies. And in his description, we read Psalm 103, verses 8 and following about the nature of God, who is a God of mercy. The Lord, Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and what? how much mercy? Plenteous in mercy. He's got a lot of it. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his what? Toward them that fear him. So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. So much so, now listen to this, let's read verse 11 out loud together. Or excuse me, verse 12 out loud together. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Can all God's people say amen to that? 
Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. How far are your sins thrown away from him? So let me ask you something, doctrinal question. Can God remember your sin? Listen to the question. Can God remember your sin? Answer, my opinion, yes. Mercy is he chooses not to. Why? For all who know him, he is given mercy. For all who've come to him, he's given mercy. Listen to verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But... The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. And what is the will of God for all of mankind today? To come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the will of God for all of mankind. You realize, I, I heard some gospel song. You know, what's that, what's that song that we change? We change the words to. Is it amazing grace we change the words to the last verse? Is it the, is it the last verse when we, when we've been there, how's it say it? 10,000 years. There is no clock in heaven. Oh, you want to sing it. All right. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise. Then when we'd first begun. 10,000 years, long time. Some people sing it this way. When we've been there forevermore. Why? Because it's eternity. So, how long are we the beneficiaries of God's mercy? Forever. There's not a person that will be in heaven that isn't a beneficiary of the mercy of God. We are living testaments to the mercy of God.
Now, all of this is going somewhere. God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of mercies. It then ends this introduction in verse 3 as the God of all comfort. Well, what is comfort? We spoke about this just a little bit last week. Comfort is an emotional and physical and spiritual uh, feeling and effect. And it is the idea of relieving what? Pain, trouble, distress in all of its forms. I'm going to argue that what you're going to see in the days ahead, God giving me the strength to preach, that this introductory passage or verses are all magnifying this doctrine of comfort. And that's where he intends to go. Now, I'm, I'm saying that to say this. God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, all these three are pointing at the God of all comfort. In other words, all of the comfort that we will experience doctrinally are going to be rooted in God and exhibited through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's coming to the God of the Bible through his son that you and I know comfort. It's you and I through Christ that understand what comfort means. Now, to unpack that, we've already been in Romans 5, but there is such rich theology as you go to that passage. And so let's explore it for a moment. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Remembering that it's verse 8 that we read that described how that God exhibited his love towards us. Now, this passage picks up <coughs> where for us that Christ took all of our sin upon himself in verse 25 of the previous chapter, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So Jesus Christ died and rose again that he might declare justified all who place their faith in him. In other words, how is God a just God to let you in heaven? He's just because Jesus paid it all. He's just because the payment was made. It was made in the person of his son. Now, Verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the expression or the experience even of the God of comfort that where there was wrath, now there is peace. Verse 2. By whom also, Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. In other words, we're standing in the room of God's distributed grace. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In other words, you and I have a hope that will not be disappointed because of Jesus Christ. The deliverance 
that we're looking forward to, the peace that has been offered to us instead of God's wrath, is all ours to have and to hold and in the person of Jesus. And not only so, but we glory, listen, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works what? Now, patience is best described as endurance. It's the ability to carry on in Jesus. It's the ability to take another step. It's the ability to go another day. The tribulation you face in life is not a grand theological mistake. The trouble you face in life isn't the big oops of God. God is actually working in your life to magnify himself, and he often does so through trouble. Amen? You familiar with the poem, The Footprints of Jesus? If you're familiar with that poem, you understand that someone is saying, in those times when I looked back in the sand and I only saw one set of footprints, I often wondered why you left me. And the answer comes back in that poem, I never left you, the footprints you saw were mine, carrying you. God is at work in this very day. You had a prayer request this day where God is magnifying trouble in the life of an individual so that they will know the God of the Bible who's a God who is the father of all mercies exhibited in Jesus so that he can make that person his child. God is also at work in your life through tribulation to give you in your life the strength that you need to depend upon him and walk in him to accomplish whatever God has for you until that last breath is given and we are ushered into the presence of our Savior. I've got a secret to tell you. So when you have life-altering or life-jeopardizing experiences, many times people will think that you're going to come outside of that and say, I know now why I'm here. I saw a light, I had a vision. And I have a new message to tell. I got news for you. There are plenty of days I would rather be with Jesus. And you say, I don't know why I'm still here. That close, that close to being able to be in glory. And here I am. 
I want to give you something, okay? When I die, it's probably not the best idea to plant a tree in my memory. I'll tell you why. I went to a park at our old church this last week, and there are two trees. I, I noticed them because there are placards, in, a post and a placard. It says, in memory of, there's a tree. This one says, post placard, in memory of. Both trees were stark dead. <laughs> I mean, flat out, flat out dead. I mean, dead as dead can be. And it's like, that's a sad memorial, man. <laughs> uh, there are plenty of times where I think, why am I still here? I don't know. Theologically, can we say, because God has something more for you? All right, now here's where I'm at. I want to be careful not to lose the days of God's gift now to serve and to lay up treasure in heaven and to try to point people to Jesus. I want to be careful not to sacrifice that with the desire that I have to be there. I don't want to be there. The tribulations we experience are on purpose. Hello? And it doesn't mean that God desires sin to be in the world. It doesn't mean that God um, is the author of sin in your life. But have you come to the place doctrinally where you can understand that God uses even that for his glory? Matter of fact, if you want to know the theological depth of that, there are passages that talk about, especially in the book of Acts, where people were crucifying Christ and, and, and you know, <laughs> it was all God's plan. Matter of fact, the Bible says that There'll be people that'll be martyred by people who think they're doing God's service. So my point is, in Romans 5, these tribulations are working for us in endurance. Thank God that he gives us the strength to carry on. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Right, amen. It will. It will be worth it all. I also want to say about right now, I don't know what you're facing in your life, and I know that there is a lot of trouble that people are experiencing, and I know you're hearing about it. But I want to give an illustration here physically that I hope will somehow help you. Some of you are right there with me. You know. You know. So when I tell you the other day I feel like I'm dying, I can't, I can't help it. It's the way I feel. It's like a, your breath is short, and you're whatever. You're, you just feel off, and in, in the midst of that, there are times, <laughs> it's stupid, I hate crying, but I do it a lot. I cry more when people are nice to me, so don't be nice. It's like, 
don't say Pastor Jeff. Say, say Jeff, you're just a jerk. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I feel better. <laughs> I'm, walking, I'm walking in Home Depot. I'm on the verge of tears for no reason. Casey and Pastor Phil drive me home yesterday, and I'm, I'm doing my best not to cry. And now, <laughs> then I get home, and I see my wife was a comfort. I'm hiding my face from Casey and Phil so they won't know what a girly man I am. <laughs> but I see my wife, and I'm like, turning, and she sees me crying, and she's like, you're in pain. I said, I can't even always explain the tears. Yeah, it's a, there's a hurt and there's a, yeah, it's there. But then there are those mercies that get you through the moment. It gets you through that season. It is literally a, a sustaining grace where God holds you. I will tell you, <laughs> that even preaching here today is a miracle. Pastor Phil and I are in the back. <laughs> I said, if I can't get through the message, here are my notes. <laughs> Stupid. Here's my point. I think, it, I think it makes sense. You could take out that illustration about Joseph. Here's a passage. Pastor feels like. <laughs> but the God of all comfort in Romans 5 uses this stuff to magnify him, and it's okay. Something I continue to learn is that, yeah, there are hard times, but, but his mercy and grace carry us. Yeah? You with me? You get it. I'm not alone, right? I'm not alone, and you're hearing my story from a slobbery, stupid, wimpy preacher. And I'm a, I, am, I am such a baby. I am such a baby. <laughs> One of my kids last night said, you're not a baby dad. I said, God knows. <laughs> oh, yeah, God knows. God knows I'm a baby. <laughs> How about we get back in the Bible, Romans 5, 4, in patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By who? By God, the Holy Spirit, his name, Comforter, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time or in the fullness of time, or some say uh, translated well, in the most perfect time, the appropriate time, Christ did what? Died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure. For a good man, someone even what? Dare to die? But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
For if we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This doctrinally rich passage is the God of comfort. He means to meet you where you are. He means to meet you in your tears. He means to meet you in your trouble. He means to meet you in your distress. And he means to comfort you. He means to hold you. He means to strengthen you. While you cry, while you laugh, while you experience life, he means to be there for you and not simply expect you to go through it. So I say again, it's a redundancy and I can't help it. Well, I could, but I'm not gonna. Where would you be without Jesus? For those of you that haven't come to Christ, what are you waiting on? You think you're gonna find salvation in this world? You think you're gonna find rescue? from the stupidness of this planet and its world system and the nutso of what we are? Do you need a savior? Better not be looking to politics. What are you waiting on? Why would you not come to Jesus? Why? Believer, has God helped you to navigate the trouble of your life? If so, would you just say praise God? Has he been enough? Say praise God. Yes. Will he be enough? Say praise God. Yes. Right? Psalm 103, if you go back there. I know what time it is. Stop it. <laughs> Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Isaiah 40, 31 says it as well. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. When are these things really going to happen for us? These things happen when we are glorified and in the presence of our Savior. Who heals diseases? Jesus. Who makes all things right? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. It's Jesus. Think about it, folks. Who heals all your diseases? Friend of mine, Mark Budke, he's dying. He's on, he, he is, he's potentially close to hospice. He's a year or two younger than me. Got notification this week through Caring Bridge. Uh, he, he may succumb to cancer.
and sad for his family. He's got kids my kid's age, and it's not easy. But I'm going to say again, every believer that steps foot in glory is never sad they're there. And I'll also say for those who remain, Jesus changes everything. You've got a loved one who's died in Christ. There's sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Jesus changes everything. So folks, this morning, again, I feel like I do pathetic. <laughs> Some of you, I'm the only pastor you've known, and that's a good thing because you don't have anything to compare me against. I feel like I do a pathetic job of trying to magnify God. But all I can say is, if you don't know him, come. Be saved. Know Jesus. He changes everything. And if you do know him, know that your life is not a mistake. You've been given what you've been given so that you will walk with him and know him. And it's okay. It's okay. And I can't say I've been there to where all of you have been. There's one of our fellow brethren in here. They're taking like a $12,000 shot every month. Thanks the Lord for insurance, but it's still, it's crazy. And they're doing that to get through life. God gives mercies to navigate. Not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, but praise God, he's there with us and holds us. You've seen pain. You've seen struggle. But God's there, and he helps. You see, comfort is unique to us. We don't know theologically that angels need comfort, but we do. Theologically, God knows we need comfort so much that he gives his person to indwell us as a tabernacle, as a tent. Why? Because he knows you hurt. He knows you need help. And he's provided the most magnified help that could ever be in that we need a savior. He's met that by the person of his son. But I also want you to know that God knows what you need right now as his child. And he's not insensitive to it. And testimonially, I want to say for my own journey, he's enough. He's enough. He helps his children. And I do feel, I feel the comfort of the Lord, even in, as I said, even in the midst of tears, even in the midst of, of trouble. And that's what this passage in 2 Corinthians is going to start going through. So believer, this morning, with whatever distraction and mess I've been up here, know that God loves you, he wants to comfort you, and he's got you right where you are. But you come to him. Come to him. And know the God of all comfort.